Okay, welcome once again to Swing Thoughts, episode three. Even though this is the, uh, I think the fifth one we've recorded, uh, but the first two were just kind of practice, just like, just kind of on the range. Practice round. Yeah, practice round. You don't like that? You're, you're making it, you want to turn it up again? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very Tim Tim O'Connor, ladies and gentlemen. Tim O'Connor, hello, hello. Mental Good performance morning. coach. Good morning. Glen Abbey Academy. You're generally a low maintenance individual, but this microphone and headphone thing. Uh, the first couple we did, we did sort of as practice. Um, Hi, everybody, and thanks very much for your feedback uh, for the podcast. We've been getting some good response on Facebook. It now exists as a podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to it. I'll explain what that is in a second or two. But, you know, I think, uh, was it last week when we had everybody hanging around with us? Yep. Rob Jacoby and Paul Gortner. I think we uh, stumbled upon uh, a good format for us because... You know, you're verbally dexterous, and I like to chat, and I think it was good having guys in the studio. Pardon? Dexterous. Yes. Uh, Guys in the studio. uh, I can explain all this. I'll I'll chart everything I'm saying for you later. Thank Um, you. But for now, it was good. I felt it was good having guys in the studio. Gave us a chance to have some questions, and we're going to continue that format today. We've got a couple of guests with us, and uh, we'll say hi to them in a second. But uh, yeah, you got some good response at timoconnor.com is where you can find Tim. Is that not right? O'ConnorGolf.ca. Is that what it is? O'ConnorGolf. O'ConnorGolf. So my last name is O'Connor. Right. No apostrophe. And then you add golf and CA, which means we're proudly Canadian. Well, there I saw some good response on yours. I put it up on my Facebook finally. <laughs> I was, uh, somebody uh, who listens to, uh, by the way, my name's Howard. Somebody who listens to this little radio show I do said, come on, I don't understand. Are you embarrassed? I went, well... Not really, because I hadn't put it up on Facebook. And then next week, what I will do is I will promote it a little bit on the uh, Humble and Fred show. We're putting the pedal to the metal. Well, here, man. yes. Now we're, that we're we've, going hard. Now that we've figured it out a little bit, I'm. Uh, no, I was never embarrassed. I just wanted to give it a little chance to breathe on its own. And well, you're a professional. You're a broadcasting <laughs> legend. That's right. I'm a broadcast legend. And that the first couple, they, you know, I can't have that. I can't have that out there. That's not true. <laughs> they were fine. Uh, today we're going to talk more about the uh, mental game. Uh, Swing thoughts is the uh, name of our program, but it's not swinging a golf club thoughts it's all the thoughts that happen while we swing that somehow sometimes and, and a lot of golfers experience this impede the actual act of swinging a golf club what do you think of uh michael breed uh, the golf fix um he's a dynamic personality he's a big personality i actually think that a lot of the stuff he talks about is really really good but i think that the average player it just ingrains this thing that they are going to find nirvana in golf by some technical piece. Fair enough. And just take this, do this, suddenly they will find happiness. A lot of people would argue the guy's been around for 27 years. I think he was, at one point in his career, was either the assistant pro or head pro at Augusta. He's got some cred. I was similar to you. I went, oh, he's just another guy, very dynamic personality, great. I actually think he's one of the few golf uh, people that translate as a broadcaster. I think he's a pretty good broadcaster. Do you know what I mean? Like, always oh, entertaining uh, to listen very, to. You know, yeah, all he, of that. He's not, and I've just started listening to him on, on Sirius XM on the, on PGA tour golf, but he did, he talked, I heard him the other day. The reason I mentioned this is, and I'm going to bring our guests in in a second. He talked about the mental side of the game. And it's the first time I'd ever heard him talk about it. And he had a couple of interesting thoughts and ideas. I'm going to throw by our guests here in a second. And, and I also thought it was interesting because it proves to me, 
and just goes to show you that if you're a modern golf instructor, you have to use, there has to be an element, and I think a pretty significant element, of the mental side in your instruction. And that's where we'll... Uh, We'll, we'll talk to our boys here. Absolutely. Does that make sense? I get it. If I get it, then I think our listeners will certainly get it. I'll tell you right now, this Tim O'Connor fellow, he's an award-winning uh, writer. I don't even know if that's true, but it sounds great. It is true. He's won awards. I'll send you my resume. He's got this book, uh, The One Plain Swing. Amazing. Great coffee table book. You need to hold something down. It's pretty heavy. <laughs> it really is. I, I was moved. I had it the other day. I moved. I'm like, this son of a bitch is heavy. If you need to nail it, <laughs> nail something. I forgot how big this book was. Chip the ice off your uh, windshield in the winter. Uh, one of our guests in the studio today is the director of instruction at Glen Abbey. He's the head coach of the Canadian Junior Golf Association National Team. And has been named Teacher of the Year by both the PGA of Ontario and in Canada. So this, you know, he's got some credibility. Yeah. And he's a buddy of ours, Sean Casey. Good to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? Good to have you here. Here's the thing, people. Casey's going to open up. I, uh... Have you been, you still never seen Second Beer Casey? I haven't. I have been just looking. Since you introduced that concept to me, I've been so looking forward to Second Beer Casey. Lots but, of guys have known Casey longer than me, but I, I invented that phrase. Uh, everyone knows Sean's very professional and very, you know, organized. Great teacher. Been awarded. But Second Beer Casey's a different guy. <laughs> Second Beer Casey, he, all of a sudden he's from the East Coast and he's like up on stage, banjo in hand. I don't know. Spoons. He's from, Second Beer spoon? Casey uh, doesn't come out as much anymore. No. Well, now that you're an old married guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, and with us as well a, uh, is a full-time junior coach, former coach of the University of McMaster golf team. He is uh, not only a great instructor, but he's a, an excellent golfer, a great player. Lots of people uh, respect his game. And, not only, and he's a, and a wonderful teacher. Alf Callowhill. Thanks for those comments. <laughs> nice to be here as well. It's nice to have you here, Alf. Now it's doing like uh, FM radio from 1977. Thank you for those compliments, Howard. No, that's just my normal voice. I know it is. Alpha, uh, so you guys heard us kind of setting this thing up. And it's, it, this isn't part of the, the main thing we want to talk about today. But what do you think about not just Michael Breed, but what about the concept of you can't be a, an instructor in 2015 without having an idea with your students, whether they're elite players or beginners, that there's a, there's a mental aspect to the game. Yeah, it should be, for sure, especially if you're working with your players on a full-time basis uh, and you're seeing them every few weeks or so. You know, If you're trying to develop their game, help them as best as you can, you better know uh, what's going through their head at certain times. But, but I, you guys both work with uh, you know, good players, junior players, but what about when a, a beginner-ish or a high-handicap player somehow is recommended to you and all of a sudden now you've got a, a guy with a 15, 16, 17 handicap yeah, there's some mechanical things you have to adjust, but what, do you start kind of looking at how they approach golf? At you know, that, just jump at in that level, you want. At that level, I Let's think say we've still, had, pretend still. we've had two beers, Casey. Just go, <laughs> just go crazy. Um, no, no. I think with most beginners, you, uh, you're looking just to develop their skills right out of the gate. For me, I mean, I'll tackle the mental a little later. Sometimes you see it. You're like, oh Jesus, guys, he's a pessimist. But uh, and you just kind of bypass that and try to 
help them develop their skills more and, and then eventually yeah eventually when it's like all right skills are getting to a point it's like all right let's tackle some of this mental uh mental stuff that's holding them back so i was generally start with the just get the skills going now, maybe that was a, a convoluted question in terms of a beginner golfer. But when you get a guy that's been around the game, let's say, you know, some dude in his 30s, 40s, whatever, been around golf a long time, and has finally come to you and then, you know, I I'm, could use some help with my, my golf swing. But you can see he's played a lot of golf. Mm-hmm. Would it be different then? Could be. It's, it, it's so individual. It's so individual. You just don't know until you really get into it with that player. The, the challenge is, is with these adults that come in and see. Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, with, with the, the nice thing is we spend so much time, majority of our time with these junior golfers, you're not afraid to tackle it. And, and you feel like you're doing something to benefit the rest of their life. You're going to help them change their uh, their outlook and the way they do things and, and deal with adversity and so on. But with the adults, there's a little bit of an attitude of you're not going to see them as long. They're coming in. They want to fix their slice or whatever the heck they want to do. Stop topping the golf ball. And for me, it's just I don't tend to go there with the mental side. It's like, all right, they're 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 too deeply ingrained in the way they do things. They are for you know they're a pessimist or whatever the habits they've developed and how they deal with life. And it's easier just to help them fix their slice slice and uh, send them on their way. So well, they're looking I, for results. They're looking for results. They're yep. they're struggling. Uh, with their game, so I want to fix this. The same type of things that they do in their life is that they take control of it, analyze it, put it in play, do it, and that's yeah. a bit results oriented. And that's that's what most adults do, and that's what really I think gets in their way. You know, I'm, most I'm, of the time, I'm hoping that you, Tim, can can help us with that at the academy, and that's why we brought Tim in. Um, is someone that is is there and available. are you talking about Tim O'Connor, mental performance coach, Glen Abbey Academy? I that am. Tim O'Connor, the very same one that's sitting here, <laughs> looking oh so happy with himself at O'ConnorGolf.ca. At O'ConnorGolf.ca. <laughs> um, but you guys make a couple of interesting points. Like if you think about who attracts adult golfers, junior golfers are a little bit different. They're kids that are interested in the game from an athletic pursuit. But you know, if you, if you can, if you're the type of person that can afford to play golf and and then somehow stumble upon guys at your level. I'm not saying you're so elite, but if you can afford a golf lesson, chances are you're a pretty type A personality and you you know make it you you're pretty driven in your normal life and it's almost counterintuitive your personality to learning a skill set like golf. And, and so a guy walk. I mean, I'm, I've talked to Alf. You know, you, you never know who's walking into your, you know, a guy recommends Alf or Sean or any other teacher and says, and then you, the personality walks on the range for the first time. And you're like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can help. I don't know if I can help that person. But you got to make a living, too, which is. Yeah, I mean, it happens. I mean, you know, you have uh, someone who, you know, has played a lot of golf and he's a pretty good golfer, but you can tell right away that this person could benefit mostly from learning how to manage their emotions, thoughts, behaviors on the golf course. But if you go into that at, as an adult, mm-hmm. they're more likely to be like, I'm not buying it. Nope. Resistance. I want, yeah, it's huge resistance. And that that's the tough part because, you know, you're, you can tell that that's where they would benefit the most. They can do it on the range. As soon as they get in the golf course and hit a bad shot, it's like they go sideways. Yeah. Even if they're a few under through eight, and I've had that story, one bad shot and it's... You know, all hell breaks loose. You, you, I love that that phrase, emotion, th- emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. And I want to ask about a particular experience that you two have had, and maybe one that Tim will will be offering people that come to see him, which is a playing lesson. And 
I, I've always wondered if that's a particularly um, strange point in a relationship. And I know it sounds like you know, you're dating your students, but a relationship where you, you've taught somebody long enough and you think, okay, I need to take this guy in the golf course to observe his emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. And what, what's that like for you the first time? Is it because the student might be a little bit nervous or you're just looking to see what? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, it's good to get off to a good start. I usually have them relax on the first hole by letting them know that they're not going to have to keep score, you know, because they're thinking, okay, is he going to watch me try to putt out every hole and play? And so usually I, they, they relax when it's like I, I show them I got a couple extra balls in my pocket and if they duff one, we're going to throw another one down and give it another shot. And so it's, uh, they relax and, and then, that, then it's fun and uh, they know that it's okay to fail out here today. Um, this is an opportunity to have a coach see them do what they do and then apply some fixes right on the spot hey try this you know get on some side hills where you you know most of our lessons take place on the obviously the the range is dead flat and it's nice to get out on the course and see oh geez they don't know how to hit off a hill you Mm -hmm. you wouldn't know that if you don't get out on course and it's it's blatantly obvious as soon as you they slice one right on the number four there and you're up on the side of the seventh tee and you see them set up and you're going oh my god yeah. they, they don't that, have a clue that, that side hill off the tee box can yeah. often be yeah. but what about you Alf when you see somebody you observe somebody after you've been teaching them a little bit and you have a sense of the player they might be and then all of a sudden you see them in action see I, I like seeing them play with the one ball the whole way through and seeing what happens when they hit their poor shots when they hit their good shots whatever it might be but knowing that there's no fallback to say hey let's just try that again i kind of like watching them you know make their triple bogey they start freaking out a bit possibly who knows um but most importantly on the next tee what happens yeah. how are you approaching it how are you settling yourself down or do you not care anyway so you're you're just good to go right from the start and that's two different scenarios and, I, and it's interesting because you know i think in the case of casey they're like that's great if you're if with you're with a higher handicap player who you're trying to sort of get golf ready and see how they you know show them some on course difficult shots or trouble shots. And in Alf's case, it's almost like uh, just getting a, a, a view while it's taking place. And that's what I was thinking about you, Timmy. Like, I think one of the best things a mental coach could do for a player is caddy for them. And I think that's one of the things you've talked about offering your students, which I thought, by the way, was brilliant. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It, yeah, it's perfect to see them how how the how the student does on the course because um, that's really where it happens. So much emphasis is put on the range and, and developing this really consistent swing that's in the slot, but that is miles away from golf. Golf is being on the course and dealing with side hill lies, dealing with adversity, having made a triple bogey. How you come back? That is golf. And so when you see someone on the course, you see their, all, of their, all of them in terms of their swing, how they react to adversity, and all of that. And that's where um, the playing lesson is just so valuable, and particularly caddying for someone. I remember caddying for my brother in uh, club championship years ago at Sunningdale in London. And he's playing pretty well. Second round, I think he's about five over or something. As the back nine goes, his pre-shot routine gets slower and slower as he becomes more careful because he's He's cognizant of his score, and he just it just started to not go very well. And so the lesson out of that was just keep it going. Just don't slow down. Stay comfortable. Don't get more careful. For every student, it's different. But well, it's interesting because you know, starting with Sean, Alf, and then you, you know, it's different levels of what people need. 
sometimes at a certain level they need some you know, hey, I've never had a chip like this. What do I do? And and, and Alf's a case of watching a maybe a better player, observing how they play their actual game of golf. Why I think the idea of you or any mental performance coach caddying is because there's the opportunity. And I, and I would like the best thing, I, again, as a player, I would love if you would come out and caddy for me for nine holes, just the two of us. And then because then later in the night or in the evening, and then you get a sort of sense of what are you thinking? What is your What's the point of this particular thing you're doing? And, and I think offering that to people would be an invaluable mental lesson because it's not like it's going to be like you're going to tell them each time. You're going to be there sort of going, okay, well, now why are you hitting this particular shot at this point? Uh, goes to what Alf's saying about, well, you know, how do you handle, you just hit a bad drive. And in Sean's case, it's a different player going, you know, I don't think I've ever had to hit this flop shot over a bunker. How do I do that? But all, all three are invaluable depending on what level of golfer you are. Well, it, yeah, it's all of that. But it's also seeing, so, you know, what's the decision someone's making in terms of the course management? Picking the right claw, right. seeing what the danger is, that type of thing. But also getting to understand what are they feeling at that point? What's going on in their body? You know, are they, do they have a lot of tension going on? What are they feeling? Is it, you know, if you really ask somebody, what are you feeling right now? Most people don't know because they're thinking like their heads are just spinning with judgments, shoulds, trying to remember stuff. And so they're totally disconnected from their body. So back to Michael Breed, I started talking because I, I, I got I think he's a decent teacher. I mean, in terms of his philosophy, of the swing, I don't really know. I think he's a very good broadcaster for a golf guy. But uh, he said something the other day uh, that I thought I'd bring to you guys. And it's an interesting philosophy. He said, if you think about how many rounds of golf you're going to play for the rest of your life, if you could say, okay, I'm going to play. You, go ahead. Well, you're putting your hand up. What? I already know what you're going to say, but you can Go ahead. No, I, well, then I, you say it. It's better. One, if you, one of my good buddies, Colin Murray, uh, we call him the sloth. Uh, we, I we, love that. <laughs> That's <laughs> really? the best nickname ever. It's awesome. But Hey, uh, sloth. <laughs> golf nut, PGA member. Right. Uh, great guy. Uh, we're chatting after tournament maybe two years ago. We both played you know, mediocre golf, whatever it might be. Um, tournament's done, and we're chatting about how kind of we struggled that week and so forth. And he says, listen, he says, how many golf tournaments are you going to play in a year? I'm like, let's say 25. For the next how many years? 20? Well, that's 500 events. So whether you play good or bad in this one, you got 499 more. Who exactly. cares? Yeah. And that was awesome. Well, and, and so to take that down to a, even a, a macro level, uh, what Breed was saying is you think about how many more rounds of golf are you going to play for the rest of your life? Forget mm -hmm. tournaments. Just from you know now until the last round. And think and, and, and the idea is you're going, you, you know intellectually you're going to hit some bad shots. You're going to have some bad days as a person. The trick is when you hit a bad shot, to not be surprised and to remember you're going to be playing a lot of golf between now and the last round. It just gives you a little bit of perspective in that this won't be the last bad shot you hit. And that's one of the things that happens to us as players is that you hit a bad shot and all of a sudden it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that would happen ever again. <laughs> but it does. The other way to look at that, too, is that what if you went into a round of golf going, this is the last round of golf I will ever play. I can. I guarantee wow. you, you'll have a different attitude about your game. You won't be going into your game thinking, oh, I hope I don't embarrass myself today. I know one thing. The sloth wouldn't have bummed us out like that. <laughs> no, no. This is actually beautiful. Sure. I know. <laughs> I know. 
If well, you, if you went into if you went it into as your last game, you would <laughs> no. not be concerned with your score. Hundred percent. You'd be thinking about you know I'm really going to enjoy today. I'm going to enjoy the people I'm with. I'm going to feel good that I can play. This is my last round, so I'm going to have a great time. You wouldn't be concerned with oh I double bogeyed number eight, you know, or something like. But that. But you know what golfers are like, Casey. Even with that utopian Buddhist kind of approach to it, Damn. they're going okay. Well, this is my last round. I just want it to be great, and all of a sudden. <laughs> Hit it in the water here. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the. You, you wouldn't want it to end, you know. But uh, I'm thinking back to a round I had in Westfield a couple years ago. Me and my buddies, uh, all golf professionals now, and we never play our whole course. Where's, where did you play? Oak Gables, Alf. Microphone. And it's like going back to that that club where you where you grew up with all your buddies, and now you're all older and golf pros and live in different cities, and we're all back at our where we learned to play. And uh, we we're having a great time. And I think it was on the 14th hole. And Steve LeBlanc is still, he is the pro there. So we went back to hang out with Steve. And, uh, and he said, guys, he goes, we, we got to slow down the pace of play. And we're like, what? Why? And he goes, I don't want this round to end. <laughs> just, <laughs> That's great. I'm having so yeah. much fun out there where you're yeah. like, yeah. you're sad that there's only four holes left. And uh, that was one of the funnest days I ha- ever had in a golf course. You know? and, and none of it has anything to do with your score. And none of no. it has anything to do with how well or how poorly you're hitting it. I mean, at some level, I guess, uh, you know, if people could get that. And it, uh, listen, I'm, you know, we, we all know me. I mean, Pontificate. It's, it's, it, well, no, but it's, it's, it. a, uh, it's a lesson that I try and learn. If you have to understand. I mean, I think the, the nirvana of golf is to not care what's happening in terms of the actual game. It's, that's the weird trick of it is to just enjoy being in that space that you're, you're in. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy the and game. That's what golf affords us that other sports don't. And when when did you realize that with your own game? Well, I think somewhere in my see intellectually, I always knew it. I mean, it's a great question because I I, I knew it at an intellectual level, but I didn't know it at an emotional level until I got older. Because in my thirties, I was a much more accomplished player in terms of playing tournaments and probably scoring lower. But I didn't. I wasn't emotionally very invested in it i was an emotion i was the kind of player where there's that i was i always talk about this book where i was two swings away from losing my mind <laughs> like absolutely literally i could tell you it'd be two bad shots away two bad swings away from that's the end of this day and uh i think it took me to get older a little bit more you know beaten down by life al if we're Alf, if we're being fair uh to understand that there is more to go there's more going on to the game uh than to a to be excellent at it. And Although there's something to be said for being excellent. For at it. sure. And you're and you're a pretty, you know, pretty good golfer as you are now, but and how much more do you enjoy the game now with that? A thousand attitude? times. It's crazy. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Alf just broke the chair. <laughs> like literally <laughs> Peter Mansbridge, uh, Alex Lifeson, uh, Rob Ford. Rob Ford sat in that chair and never broke it. Let, let's just let the audience know that the actual chair is not broken, the armrest. And 165, wow. 170. That, you know what? That's here's that's there's some inner tension right Man, over there. These are nice chairs. Yeah, I, these they were. They're not they were. Cheap. Here, just just take that on. Can, just in case the dog thinks it's something to chew. <laughs> um, it's hard to be intense in terms of your, and this may be a, something we can transition to. It's hard to be intense. Um, in in your pursuit of being good at the game, and then not intense in the activity of playing it, which is another reason people find it so difficult. 
Well, the average person um, so identifies himself with score. They so invest themselves that this is the day. I got figured out. I was hitting it great in the range. Today's the day I break 100, 90, 80, whatever. And then it doesn't, it doesn't work out. And they just, like you said, two swings away from absolute madness. Mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. But it's that ability just to play and have fun, but also know where you are. That's when you start to become a really good player. When you can know where you are, say, in relation to par, but still play in a relaxed way. That's where the skill comes in. And that's harder to learn. Well, I think you're you're putting an expectation on it just by the sounds of what you're talking about. And, and if you expect whatever it is, anything going into your round, um, then you're constantly living and dying on that expectation instead of just playing. Absolutely. Like what if the conditions changed as the day went on? And it's like, you know what? The score that I thought would be good today is now, you know what I mean? So you gotta you got to manage those expectations or just play and get, see what you can do. Well, you and I have talked a lot of a lot about what you can control and what you can influence. Mm-hmm. That sounded weird. What you can influence. So you I, know, I, did, I wasn't going to say anything because, you know, <laughs> influence. I think we all got what you were saying, but I believe the word you were looking for was influence. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to be a good coach. That word, that word there. You can't control score. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can hit what you've judged to be a perfect putt, perfect line, perfect speed. Does it always go in? No. So you can't control score. And that's the problem that a lot of people have, is that they set their expectation that today's the day I'm going to break 80. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you can't control score, you can't control conditions. Well, what Sean also said, too, just a second, Alf, is that whether you're playing a casual round or, in a case of Alf, playing a professional round, sometimes you need to have the awareness that conditions have changed and whatever might have been a good score is now a different, it's a, it's a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? I was just going to say that uh, it was funny last year, going back to Tim's comment there. Um, we were playing at Rattlesnake, me and one of my juniors, and I had birdied the first two holes. We get up on the third tee, and he looks at me and he goes, what are you going to shoot today? <laughs> and I looked at him like, what? Like, I, I don't know. I have no idea. And he thought that was the craziest answer. He thought I should have said, well, I'm going to shoot like 18 under then today. Um, but I told him, I said, you know, you got to uh, expect nothing and accept everything. Oh, that that's, was a great. Oh, that's beautiful. Look that. at Alf. Alf is on fire. Emotion, <laughs> thoughts, and behaviors. Expect nothing. Was <laughs> except everything. everything. Nothing except everything. Howard, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned intensity. I just want to go back to that for a second because everybody's intensity. You're as an individual. You're the intensity that you would get the most out of yourself is is very unique to you and. What I'm saying, if you look at certain players on tour, I don't know, let's look at a Keegan Bradley. Um, yep. he, he, he seems to at least think he gets more of himself at a, at a, at a high-intensity level. So I'm going to assume that he's right on that and he knows his game. So he tries to, to get into that intense state. And, uh, but there's other people that get more out of themselves when they're pretty low-intensity and they're pretty chill, mm-hmm. be it a Freddie Couples or whoever. But you just have to know yourself. And there isn't a magic intensity level. It's, it's, it's very individual. But I just want to say this is Corey Connors, who's uh, one of the best young Canadian players. Um, he'll, he'll be a household name before you know it. He just qualified for the... Just won the Latin American uh, yeah, just What? Just won it. He's one of your kids? No, he's just a young Canadian from Listowel that uh, has been on the Canadian national development team and just graduated from Kent State. And he's going to be a household name. Before he turned you know. professional. He just turned professional. So you were saying about him? Yeah. Um, 
I watched him play around a golf and I had the opportunity to chat with him in the locker room after the round and he brought this little uh, essentially a rusty card uh, out of his uh, scorecard. He just had it slipped in and, and, he, and he pulled it out after and, and he on each hole each tee shot just before each tee shot so he'd mark in his score from the last round and then he would check in mentally on every hole and it was before he even checked the wind or anything it was just how am I feeling before I even start the next hole he did this mental check-in and one of the parameters that he checked in on was his intensity level so he manages his intensity he's aware because he can see where he puts it on that sliding it was say one to ten scale and so articulate a bit a little bit more he's just made a birdie and he's walking to the next tee it's the fifth hole he's two or three under and he's checking his intensity level like am i too high right now yes am i and he would have vibrating uh, he would have uh, techniques to raise or lower it yeah and it's pretty simple but he would have breathing techniques that bring it down and he'd probably have something to bring it up it see that's a that's awareness at a really high level mm-hmm. and you know people talk about today uh, awareness and mindfulness it's kind of trendy but man oh man that's I think just a huge skill piece for golfers to 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 uh to learn about is just awareness. What's going on in my body? What am I thinking? And most golfers don't do that. Yeah, what were you going to say? Because I want to get back to what. Sean, okay, well, here's the thing, Sean. My, when I hear you talk about that, and, I, and one of the lessons I think that if you know the kind of people that are going to eventually hear this podcast, I can see the people that are listening to it on Facebook. They're not. You know, they would kill to shoot 82 or 78. But my question is, why if a guy at the professional level, a guy that's an elite player, if he's checking in with himself, whatever the technique is, walking from hole four to hole five, just taking a second. We're not talking about an analysis, you know, sitting down for 20 minutes, just going, okay, I just made triple bogey. How do I feel about this next tee shot? Or how how am I feeling right now? And maybe to adjust your your levels just a little bit why wouldn't a guy with a 15 handicap avail himself of that we should he should and and that's that's what this whole initiative is all about that's why it's so cool what you guys are doing because we all know that the average golfer stands to benefit massively by actually doing something about their uh, mental games but they they for the most part don't do anything and they're not even aware and, and alf maybe you can talk a little bit about this i don't even think they're aware that there's uh, there's something going on in in the game that they're just not tapping into because they make four pars in a row and then a triple. Like my brothers are avid players; they love the game, but they're you know guys just shooting the high eighties, nineties. But if they make a triple on the sixth hole, that's it's over. There is no coming back from that. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Actually, you don't have any uh, little no, swing thoughts, behaviors, this, and no, no, not, not this time. <laughs> well, what um, about the idea that that higher handicap players could hear a story like Sean's talking about Corey and go, you know what? Maybe that's something I could implement. Something simple, just checking in between between each hole before you hit that tee shot, saying to yourself, "Okay, am I am I pissed off? Am I how am I right? Am I excited?" And then going back to neutral, whatever that might be, because I think that. Actually, taking action and doing that is tough for a lot of people. Why is they, that? they can say they want to do it, and I should do that, but the reality reality of it is, they go and play, and then maybe they forget to on the first two holes. So that's no big deal. Third hole, maybe you're hanging out with your buddies, storytelling, having a beer. You forget to do that. Like yes, you know, maybe you don't care enough to do it because yep. you really, you know, it's just something that I don't want to worry about. Um, and you think that there should be another reason besides something that might seem so small. 
that could have such a great effect, but you wouldn't think about that because it's too small of an idea. I don't want to do it. I think a lot of it comes down to like the talk that uh, that I gave last Saturday about ego. And golfers just connect so much with their ego that if they if they perceive they make a mistake, they do something foolish, they suddenly feel like, oh, this guy's going to think I'm a goof, that I'm not a very good golfer. And then they start to make own judgments about themselves. And then, But they always slide back into thinking it's generally something technical. I'm not folding my right elbow. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Whereas I believe that golfers, if they, if they could disidentify themselves with their score that they would just play so much better and let them off the hook and relax because if I'm a good if I'm a good person when I shoot 72 then what happens to me when I shoot 85 and and by the way I just want to just jump in because that is a very fantastic general statement if they would just learn that but what Alpha is saying and it's one of the things I think most they don't even get to the point of thinking that what you're talking about might have an impact because they think, wow, I just, uh, just sliced it out of bounds on that last hole. If I could only stop slicing it out of bounds, then I'd be a good p- a person and a better player. It's not even about, they don't even know that it's not even about that. You know, um, there's a, not to get too far afield, but in Buddhism, uh, there's this thing called monkey they, they, having a monkey mind, and that's what golfers have. Yeah, they've got we've got monkey minds where it's always it's just so much stuff going on, and they won't even consider that maybe taking what the Buddhists call a present breath. And again, listen, we all we all do it in golf. At some, the better players do, but it's taking a breath in such a way that it brings you to to the present. You know, Doolin talks about this. You talk about it. Good players do it. You know, the idea that you can bring yourself back to quieting somewhat of your monkey mind by just breathing properly and again you know does a person might hear that and go yeah that's a good idea i'll start doing that next time but if you don't make it a priority it's never going to make any difference to your game yeah but they come back all that that's great but what happens is most golfers they are just it is so, great they're, they're so attached to their it's ego they're so attached yes. to how they perform and they're hyper aware of what people are thinking and whether they're living up to their own expectations it's a default setting that's where they go automatically they're ingrained they've been doing it their whole life since grade two that's the way people generally react. So it's around awareness. So it's becoming aware of what's going on for them on the golf course. That takes a degree of, of 100%. maturity. My point only is that before you become aware on the golf course, you have to become aware that maybe that's something that would benefit you. I'm going to give you some questions here, all three of you. Do you think that golfers get stuck in a narrative around golf that is inherently negative? You used the word at the beginning of the show, I think, pessimists. Mm-hmm. So let's go around the table. Do you think golfers, in the narrative that runs through most golfers' minds, is it inherently negative? I don't know what the percentages are, but absolutely, there's a lot of pessimists out there. Um, uh, I think you can change your orientation um, in terms of becoming. You mean like Caitlyn Jenner, or just? <laughs> like I'm just, I'm just, I'm not sure what you're talking I about, think, Casey. I, I think you have a natural bent, if you will, to be one or the other. Um, that's coming from John Maxwell and his dad. So John Maxwell's father apparently was uh, a pessimist, but John didn't know this until he almost he was about to die. And it, John mm. was telling this through one of his audio books I was listening to. But he said, wow, he, his dad told him one day later in life, he's like, you don't realize, he said, I'm naturally bent to be pessimist, but I fight it every day. 
you know, he 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 really worked at uh, changing that. I think it it can be an uphill battle. I'm, I'm fortunate. I feel like you guys are all. Uh, I think we're all pretty positive, but uh, I think we're fortunate to have that somewhat naturally. But what do you think about most golfers? Do you think? And and I I agree with you, but I'm talking about even players that are, you know, you know on a path of you know golf enlightenment just the general golf public is the language around golf the narrative in their minds inherently negative yes <laughs> a definite yes <laughs> obviously you have some people that aren't and that's that's all well and good but it's like group think you come into to the round after you uh, you play you know if someone asks you hey howard how'd you play and you played very very well you almost feel sheepish saying so yeah right you don't even want to say that like oh you know i played okay it's fine um but if you played bad it's like oh i played terrible you know i hit so many bad shots and everyone talks about all their bad shots and you just they put a lot of emotion in that group oh absolutely emotion to it but you're part of that group as well so you feel like you're kind of fitting in um you know so I, i find that very interesting and you know you do feel weird if you did play really well because you don't want to say oh i played great it was fantastic because you feel like you're like cocky and boastful you know boastful and but you know so it's, it's a challenge for us alf and i with the juniors you know we try to uh develop this culture of positivity and and uh trying to have the the, the boys in our program first identify with what went well out there on the course but, instead uh, of what you shot. if we're not sitting there if we're not in that van driving back to the hotel encouraging them to first talk about what went well out there before they talk about what they want to do better, uh, it doesn't go there naturally. They they it always have a bunch of sob stories and yeah. let's compare and but. and that's why I'm saying there's a golf narrative the movie that's playing in most golfers' brain. Do you think it's inherently negative? It is, and it's natural to everyone, whether you're a golfer, a business person, whatever. It's our, it's, again, it's our ego. Our ego's trying to protect us from pain. So the ego, whenever things happen, it's going like, okay, how do I not have this happen again? You know, and that's why we start to get into that narrative, that voice of, oh, I didn't practice enough. Uh, I'm not good enough. Um, it's just go on. It, the trick is, is to coexist with the voice and say, it's okay. I'm not going to listen to that. That's not who I am. But that's it is inherently natural to be be negative. You know, there's the old phrase: uh, people love bad. Bad news travels fast. It's a cliche, but it's true because there's something. And, and what Alf was saying, and golfers have this. It's like. We just can't, we get so excited in a weird way. And I mean excited, like emotionally invested in shit that went wrong. Oh, yeah. It's like that's the story as opposed to, you know, I played great today. And and it's funny because I'm not sure if this was an Evershed thing with me years ago. But he he used to caution me not to get too invested emotionally in a bad shot because that really becomes an imprint on you. Absolutely. And he'd say, if you hit a good shot, you know, feel great about it in the moment. When you hit a bad shot, let it go. Try and give it very little emotion because then your your subconscious lets it drift away. But most people, myself included, imprint the opposite. Yeah, it's a train. It's a train skill too, right? Well, so it's you funny you say that because the next thing I was going to say is most of the language golfers use negatively is habitual. It's trained. We've trained it because of the scenarios you're talking about. Because of what you were saying, um, is it Tim? And, and back to what Casey was saying. Some people, you, you try and teach kids. Hey, listen. When the round's over, let's train our subconscious. Let's be habitually. Uh, aware of what went well 
mm-hmm. as opposed to oh man, I was three over and then I'm just and everything went to shit. Yeah, now, and that's why Alf and I have gone to more of a coaching model um, and the amount of time we spend with less kids. So we're not trying to teach the whole world here. Alf and I have uh, approximately 20 juniors that we really commit the majority of our time to, and we can see them often enough to help them make change, changes in those habits. I mean, you're asking, Howard, about whether we tackle the mental game with our adults, too. The truth is we don't see them enough. So, okay, I can make this adult aware but I'm not going to – they honestly need you to be there and sort of hold their hand through the next couple of years because they're going to keep falling back and not know. And Absolutely. with our juniors, we're with them enough that we can actually stay persistent and help them become aware constantly. You're falling back, you're falling back, and really help them develop a new habit. That's what that's – what you're almost on what we call the hero's journey with them. You're supporting them, guiding them through, giving them perspective, throwing them back on the path. With adults, that's hard to do because so much of they determine themselves, I'm going to do it this way. They've ingrained these habits. So when you have juniors, it's a little bit easier to just kind of help them along. Well, because it's not, it's not become habitual. Yeah. I'll give you another thing I picked out for you guys this week. And in a second, I'll tell you where I got these from because it's such a bizarre source. But it, it, it impressed me. If you're okay with certain behaviors, and I'll say certain golf behaviors, but it, it, it applies to everybody mentally as well in their regular life. If you're okay with certain behaviors, it's because you've trained yourself to accept them. If you're okay with the way you've always played golf and the emotions around it, it's because you've just trained yourself over 40 years or 20,000 rounds. Well, this is how I am on the golf course. This is what always happens to me. I always hit the water here. Um, and on and on and on. Like even last week talking to Rob, uh, your buddy. Rob Jacoby. Rob yeah. Jacoby. Had a great story about, I said to him, you know, what happens in a round of golf if, you know, you're playing well in the front nine? He goes, well, after nine holes, I'm doing okay. Uh, I only have one beer and a sandwich. <laughs> Whatever it was. He said, but if I'm more than seven or eight over par, I have a bunch of beers and it's blah, blah, blah. But that's fine. But he's, he's accepted that. He's trained himself that there's a number that he will either either think he's got a good round going, and uh, and but there's a, a million of those behaviors in the game of golf. It brings me back to childhood, and Alf's heard me tell this story. But as a kid, thankfully, and and in some ways not thankfully, but the six green was pretty close to the clubhouse, <laughs> and <laughs> we would take that opportunity to. Um, many of us would have a number in our head. And it'd be interesting at number six because some of the juniors would venture on to seven and some would head back to number one and start over. Uh, And we had a ball rack system. So you just went back and threw your ball in the uh, rack and you just wait to get back out. Um, The seventh tee also was quite a long walk from six in the other direction. So it was kind of a crossroads. It's like, do I want to go to seven and venture (laughs) on to the rest of the course? (laughs) That's correct. Away from the clubhouse? Decision. Or, you know, a salt and vinegar bag of chips and a chocolate milk on dad's tab sounds pretty good right now. (laughs) So (laughs) venture in salt and vinegar, chocolate milk, and put your ball in the rack and get a fresh start. So I trained myself, unfortunately, to to do that as a kid way too often. Uh, And I'm teeing off number one with the pressure of what I need to be. So you caved. You took the, the 
the well, easy was, road. It yeah, was but, all based on a number, though. Well, yeah. it was also based on salt and vinegar chips, were, <laughs> which are amazing. <laughs> Let's be serious. It's not just golf. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. There was, there was and a, chocolate milk, too. That just takes it to a different level. Salt and starch, very powerful addictive At, at the time, they had the uh, the WWF little things inside them, too. So oh. I, would, I wanted to get more of them to put on my See, locker. See, now we're but, really getting Yeah, this is where it's at. <laughs> Alf, uh, what do you think about the idea that people are okay with certain golf behaviors because... Somehow we subconsciously, without knowing, have trained ourselves to accept, well, this is just how I play. Yeah, and like you said, they, they might not even know that they're thinking in that way, right, even to another level there. But, um, yeah, it's just the way it is. So I think the awareness is the key to, to change, right? Um, so making these players aware of you know, what they're going through, you know, filming them catching them when you watch them on your playing rounds and uh, seeing them do something that you see all the time but they might might not even realize mm-hmm. they're doing and showing it to them it's like whoa that's I did that but but as you say it's like you know I, one of the things I think hopefully this might even tweak somebody's thinking in terms of you know even though most golfers if you ask them they want to they want to be a better score Whatever that is. Oh, man, you know, one day I'd like to break 80. Like Rob Jacoby last week. He's never broken 80. And in his mind somewhere, there's this phantom number. But, and they think it's through the course of, you know, maybe getting my grip better or whatever it is. But in actual fact, just becoming aware of certain inherent negative habitual behaviors that we've trained ourselves, just getting away from those could lower your score. Absolutely. I believe that if you, you, if you didn't change your swing... But you learn how to be aware of yourself on the golf course and think better and just monitor yourself better. You could knock three, four shots off your game without even changing your swing. Really? Because I believe I, I, I mentioned that to you a while back and you're like, I don't know if we should say that. I mean, let's... Wasn't, wasn't that you? <laughs> no, no, that's something else. That was, oh, was it something? Oh, okay. I think that's before you went on your non-booze cleanse. Yeah, I'm all... I'm so, <laughs> right now, I've got so much clarity, I could punch myself in the face. Um, no, because I... What's that? What, what, what are you pointing at? I'm pointing at oh. I want to talk now because I have a really important point to make. <laughs> It's people develop skill on how they are on the golf course. <clears throat> it's like someone who's an angry golfer. It's a weird thing to get your head around, but that's a skill. You've learned how to be angry, and so those neural pathways are just wide and big and major highways. I get angry. That's a skill. But until you learn how to, to be aware of that, then you can start to do stuff to not be angry, but you have to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and back to uh, when we started talking about this, I said to Timmy, I said, you know, you know, there's a lot of uh, part of the mental game, awareness, breathing, uh, having an idea that the game's more than just the number you shoot. And I said, the weird thing is you, you could you could find a, a path, a continuum from, you know, what we're talking about to somewhere down the line, you can score better as a byproduct, because a lot of what a 15, 16, 18, 12 handicap does in a round of golf that impedes their score has a lot to do with how they are mentally and how that affects their decisions that they make. Yeah, and I think the, the biggest thing that um, our students want to say to us usually is, I want to be consistent, I want yeah. to be a consistent golfer. And the idea of that consistency as a score is out there. Like It's not even really 
there, right? It doesn't happen. No one's consistent from a score standpoint. So they need to learn how to be consistent with their actions, thoughts, behaviors, and so forth. Right. Um, I kind of forget what your question was. Now, well, no, just the idea that isn't it? I sort of, it's somewhat ironic that if you're a uh, somebody that thinks of a score as part of the reason you play the game, that being more mentally whatever could lead to that path. Right. And so if you're if you are consistent with all those things from a mental standpoint, you know you will let's say have maybe some lower better games let's say but also lower higher games right yes but you learn mm-hmm. to actually instead of shooting 88 when you're playing poorly maybe it's 84 83 and that gives you confidence moving forward to say hey i didn't play well but i was 83 not 88 maybe i'm getting better so it can have that effect as far as your growth as a golfer did you want to say something and is it very important <laughs> it's always really important. So, no, this is a great opportunity because I got two, you know, excellent golf professionals here. These guys know how to swing it really well, know how to teach that. So, we were talking about Michael Breed and and just kind of group think and what golfers are wanting. And you said it. Golfers want to get a consistent swing. I don't think there is such a thing as a consistent swing. You can have you have certain ways that you hit it, but looking for that swing that's going to repeat Mo Norman-like, I think that's generally impossible because we're human beings. Our bodies are different day to day. The ball's sitting up differently. What do you think about that whole pursuit of the consistent swing through mechanics? Is it really possible? Yes. So you're not incorrect that there's things that are going to change, like the lie and so on in your body and it's achy today and it's cold and hot and so on and so forth. And maybe you're a little injured here and so on, but the actual pattern movement, it's unbelievable. And students come, I'll give you an example. Somebody comes for a lesson and they know you're and they're like, okay, I'm going to do some video and check out your swing. And then we're going to try to decide which way direction we might go in the future with your swing. And so it's the first lesson. And, uh, Let's just say they hit a couple bad ones, and they look at you, and they know that okay, we're gonna we're gonna look at those. They're like, no, 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 no. Let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I can do better than that. Let, let give me another crack at it. And it's yeah. like, and if you say okay, let, let's do that. Every now and then, as an experiment, you're like, and you want to show them, and then I'll put the two up on the screen, the one he flushed and the one he topped, and go frame by frame through the whole thing, and it's like. Oh my God, they're the same. You, you, you can't even see the difference. It's 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 so minute hitting the dime size sweet spot. Yeah, and that shank is literally about dime and a half over. Hey, don't it's, listen. And by the way, he was looking at you saying shank, but that wasn't. He was just. A, it's a, a no, phrase. No, no, it's no, just, he no, wasn't, no. It's okay. Like, I I faced it. Okay. I looked the monster in the eye, and I didn't blink. Get back to but what think, you're saying. Think about the bad shots in golf that are only a dime away from that sweet spot sure. dime. Like, it's like thin, topped, shanked. Like, those are right there. And the movement pattern, ultimately, it, it is quite consistent. The challenge to become consistent in golf is just realizing it's like, okay, it's changing the the habitual motion and in a direction and identifying the ultimately usually off the compensations it's like when they hit it bad because every golf swing we know every golfer hits some good shots and that's what brings them back but sure why do they hit it bad and identifying within that ultimately pretty consistent motion they make when they hit well, it I, bad, I, I, and i've heard you say that before i think you're right that you that the the, the motion we all make is more consistent than we mm-hmm. think but i think that what we're talking about overall is you can have a consistent experience in golf 
what most players don't experience, and I, I you know, you all know I've had that situation where, you know, it's it's up and down depending on how you're playing. And, and what you said, Alf, is exactly what happened to me. I got better mentally, so I may not have shot the low numbers I was hoping to, but my high numbers came way down. Mm-hmm. Because at the beginning of every round, I wasn't afraid to shoot a high number. In fact, I didn't even think about it. The, the less I worried about what was going to happen that day, the more my natural abilities, consistent motion or whatever it is, is able to be expressed in a, in a way that gives you a, a lower high number. Yeah, and those early doubles or triples don't freak you out as much. You just keep playing golf. Yeah, well, and, and again, listen, I mean, somewhere on the golf, you know, mental ability or not, I have, some, I mentioned this last week, I have a really good buddy of mine. He's a decent player, three or four, five handicap, but he has only two modes. Great round, the, the worst bad round. He's shot 71 with me and he shot 90 with me. But he, he announces, you want to talk about the six holes for salt and vinegar chips? <laughs> he, he announces within one or two or three holes what kind of day it's going to be. It's just like your kids saying, what, kind of, what are you going to shoot today? He will tell you on second or third hole, depending on how those holes have gone, day's over. This is, this is my day. And I remember saying to him at one point, I said this last week, I always say to him, you never know if the next 15 holes are going to be the best you've ever played. But he just can't get his head around that. He's fallen victim to his... Uh to everything. Yeah. Because, that's, because he's trained himself to accept that as a reality. And I say that part of what you guys do and what I've learned from Tim and Doolin and other people, Casey, and, is that you can train yourself you know, to not accept it, to, be, to, to see a different reality. We talked about uh, that framing concept. You know, here's an experience. Maybe person A goes through it, person B goes through it. Seemingly the same experience, but wow, this guy, if you ask him his experience, he sort of frames it in a different light than this guy. And it's like, wow. And that they're cha- ultimately changing the future. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're both in the same place in time and space. They both went through the same thing, but boy, are their futures about to be different because this person chose to look at what happened differently than that person. So you can influence the future by framing things differently. And and I think all the opportunities are there in the head to go one way or the other. Like when we talked about it, it's like, what would I say to myself generally when that happens? Hmm, I suck at putting. Uh, you know, used to all the negative connotations. And it's like, well, what could I say? Like, you know, I just had an opportunity to hit some putts on the golf course I'm going to play today. Now I'm actually getting some real on-course feel for what the greens are like. You could say... I think I have a better sense of what these greens are doing. Let's go do better in number two. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's same experience. You both three put at number one, but one guy's going off the two thinking, I think I'll do better on two, and the other guy's thinking, oh, boy, we're in for it today. Absolutely. Can you train you yourself? Know, like, I mean, Tim would say yes, obviously, because it's what Tim is going to dedicate the, the rest of his natural-born days to. Can you train yourself to have a better mental game? Alf Callahill. Of course you can. And it's it's probably easier if you're consistent doing it daily than you would think. Right, I mean, I could look back at my game and poor mental game when I was in my late teens, uh, university days, where I, I wanted to shoot a good enough score that I didn't embarrass myself. Right, if I shot seventy five or seventy six, I was like, okay, I'm fitting in enough. I'm not hurting the team. Um, you know, great, great for you, ego golfer, ego golfer. Um, probably my mid twenties, um, and I read tons of books. I talked to guys like Paul Doolin. Um, it switched, and I know now because I've been consistent with that way of thinking for almost ten years. 
I honestly can say I don't really worry much about what I'm shooting at any point in the round, what have you. I'm always trying to shoot the best I can, and I'm aware of what I'm at. But you know, it's the actual score is largely irrelevant to my happiness with the game. And you're going to have like anything else when you're working on something. You're going to have days when you're better at it. You know, I mean, I made a lot of. Um, strides in 2014 and you have some days you fall back in 2015 I started working with Tim and you know and I and I had a couple of uh, good talks with Sean and yeah there were days where you know I was doing great I felt good and and then you slip back and and it just, it's it's more of an ongoing overall goal of me as a player I know where I want to get to and I know that in order to get there yeah golf physically aside that I'm going to have to continue trying to train the mental game um in, in the last few minutes let's talk a little bit with tim o'connor who as we all know at o'connorgolf.ca thank you and uh you know i can't wait till we start having like t-shirts and stuff we can sell but lunch boxes that's what i'm, I'm going to finish by going around and talking about what would you what do you do to train somebody mentally incorporating the physical activity in golf. And, and I, I have a, a, an example of, I know one thing Alf does, but let's talk about that. We've, we've established that and the mental thing's important, but how do we integrate mental and physical motion? I would just tell people to really concentrate on having fun and doing things differently than they've ever done before. Stop keeping score for one thing. Most people keep score and they make judgments about themselves. Just have fun out there. Really. Have, well, like, I remind as you said, put an extra ball in your pocket. And if you've got time playing in the evening or something, you miss a shot, throw it down. And just become more aware of, of what's going on, your surroundings. Uh, what a shot. What's going on when you watch a shot? I remember Ben Kern. Um, he was the director of golf at The Brush. And he talked about on number 11 that the, the green was uh, surrounded at the front by these big cavernous bunkers. And he said he would just hit it down and watch what happened. And the ball might go into the bunker, but sometimes it might trundle in between them onto the green. And he says that was so much fun. <laughs> now what? Because most people turn away if it's going in the bunker. Absolutely, because they go, "Oh, I hit it crappy," or "There goes my, you know, breaking eighty today." What a different way to look at the game, just to have some fun and watch what's going on. Well, I'm talking about this. We were on the green one day. I'm talking, that, and that's great. But you're, I'm talking about what you do with your students, me, me included. We were talking about hitting the short putts one day. And you, and you had this little technique. We're talking about three and four footers. And uh, I was sort of steering them and whatever. And you said, here's just try something. And you put the pin down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That. That's what I'm talking about. Just explain that. Because it, it's a way to train the physical part. Because most people get a little bit not nervous over a four footer. But they think you should make it. So you might steer it. You might jab it. Whatever it is you do. And then what is it you did that showed me that. If you can make this leap, it's a mental exercise, but it helps you physically. You t we took about 10 golf balls, and we took the little flag that you have on a practice green and just laid it on its side. And I just had you hit ball. The object was just to hit the flag. So that's pretty darn easy. Yeah. Just hit the flag. Hit from the flag. four feet, from three feet. You just keep doing it. Just keep hitting it. Keep hitting it. The feeling. And I put a ball down so you didn't have time to, to adjust. Ball down, hit. Ball down, hit. Ball down, hit. And go, and go, and go. And then... We introduce, then you start hitting it towards the hole. Same pace, everything. So what was different when, so that's the, the awareness piece. Right. Is that what is different when you're hitting just towards a flag and doing something relatively easy and not thinking about it, and suddenly you introduce a hole. 
Suddenly, it means something. Suddenly, there's consequence, and that's golf. But I liked it because it for, sort of feel you get to feel your body, yes. the physical part, releasing any expectation. Because I, I know I can hit this little flag here. And then all of a sudden, it, it sort of opens you up when the hole's back to go, okay, that's the feeling I need when I'm on the golf course. It creates the awareness that people can actually play and sort of trust what they've got. Right. Allow the, And their body knows what to do. You've been playing this game long enough, your body knows what to do if you stay out of the way. So those ty- there's another great drill, um, which you can have, you can putt to a hole and someone will have, they'll be sitting behind the hole and they will... Just you can put up your fingers, go from either one to five, and as you putt, the person puts out a number. It might be four, so you say four and hit the ball, and then the next time they'll do it, it'll be one. So you're thinking about the hand, the number that's coming up, rather than your stroke. And it's amazing how well you can putt when your brain is not focused on. Oh, I got to keep my head still. I got to retain the hinge in my. Mm-hmm. It is amazing what your body can do if you just let it go and stay out of the way. Those types of awareness drills are amazing. I think that's important. AlfCallowHill.golf.com. Is that like a real place? You struggle with those AlfCallowHillGolf.com. It is a real place. Uh-huh. How can you train yourself to have a better mental game? <laughs> um. It's it's such a huge question, um, but I would say start by kind of monitoring how you're reacting to things during practice, right? So when you're on the range, you know you'll see guys out there hit a shot in the range that's terrible, and they're flipping out, losing their mind, and they're going to do that in the golf course, right? So start to be aware of it. Make a note on your scorecard uh, every time you have a negative reaction. Let's say that is your issue. Could be other things, but. Um, <laughs> So you've just had a shot, you had a negative reaction, just put a check mark on your card. Again, that awareness, as you see those check marks pile up, you'll start to realize, man, I got so many check marks going mm-hmm. on here. I got this. Maybe this isn't good. Um, but doing anything that's going to allow you to be more aware would be the biggest Well, key. one of the things that I think that I've observed you doing, it, I was reminded yesterday because you were doing it with your juniors, is also practicing with consequence. Right. And uh, one of the things that, you know, you, you guys were doing, I remember that I couldn't even understand. I was right beside you. I didn't hear quite the premise of the game, but the kids had to sink a certain number into this little chipping thing before they could do something and get out of the you had to sink it or you you couldn't the, leave the, the last game. person to get five in was right. out was out right so then you last man standing wins right so and then it sort of reminded me that this summer i don't know maybe four or five six or seven times on fridays i'd come and hang out with alf a little bit and we played this chipping putting game with consequence and, it, and it's a, it just you it, it's like two guys hitting five balls whatever the point is it makes you feel like you're playing the game a little bit and it gives you a chance to kind of monitor your attention level 100% and as a coach you get to see how the kids are reacting during those during those times so you can talk about it later or mm-hmm. at that moment um, my question to that how it would be when we played those games how much money would you typically lose? <laughs> you know, it's been great having you on. Uh, don't forget to go to Alf, who gives a crap, dot CA. Expect nothing. Whatever. Except, except here's, a, here's an emotion, behavior, and thought for you. Um, no, listen, even last winter, you know, I, we, we would putt against each other. 
and I, I, I never won, but I, I never stopped trying, Al. There so, you go. So suck it. Tenacity. And um, you know what? You, you got better through the pursuit. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was worth it. You know, you lo- it's like you're investing in your future. Well, that's the thing is, too. It's like... <laughs> by even, paying off money. By paying off a very small amount of money. I mean, really, I mean, whatever it was. Don't gamble, people. Um, not with Alf. So, and I'll finish with you, Case. Like, you know, you, you, you've trained a lot of good players. Like, that thing you said about Corey, like, that that little thing, I think, for a takeaway today for people is a really interesting thought about monitoring between holes. Just how you feeling about things? Just check in. And, you know, Alf just mentioned, put a little check on your card, you know, in one of the boxes. It's uh, increasing your awareness is the key. And the key to success is in your daily routine, they'll say, or the key to golf is in how you could watch somebody just prepare to hit one shot and how they handle that one shot. So ultimately, your success is in your habits. And we are talking about everything we're talking about here, whether it be the swing or the mental aspect, the preparation, how they handle the shot. It's We're talking about little pieces of the process and identifying within a golfer, you know, what ones might be worth changing. And it's the, the important thing here to realize is, too, we're not talking about dismantling every golfer's game out there and turning them into something they're not. It's looking at who you are and what you do and identifying within your process those those pieces that are currently the, the biggest opportunities for future improvement. So your weaknesses, identifying your weaknesses. And changing them is very challenging, but it's completely doable and possible, but it takes high awareness and mm-hmm. commitment to what you want to become. Yeah, and it's doing it, it's doing it day by day. So it's not. It, we all need to have those big goals. Those are things we get out of, out of bed for every day. But what are you doing day by day? That little win. You set yourself up for three things you're going to do that day. They're part of your process. You get that done. You feel good. You want to do it the next day. Mm-hmm. It's process. It's day by day by day. Yep. And training yourself to have a better mental game has to start, I guess, with the idea that that's a thing of value. Um, and even a high-level player, you know, we were talking to Paul Gortner last weekend, played a lot of golf and plus two handicap. But I talked to him after, and he's going to, you know, start working with Tim because he, even at his level, recognizes that if he wants to be improve his tournament performance, there's room for him to improve. And it's funny, again, back to the old, anyone hearing about a guy that can shoot 69, they think, well, your problems will be solved. Well, they're not, because there's something of value in what you say for everybody. All the best players in the world, most of them, have have uh, shrinks now. They have they have fitness people. They've got the guys who fit their clubs, uh, work in their nutrition, and the golf coach, and someone to talk to just to get support around what's going on mentally, emotionally, what's going on for them. And that's the thing. I think smart people ask for support and they take it. Whether you're a 25 handicapper or whether you're on a PGA Tour going to a major championship. I just want to say, you know, you look at the best players, and Alf made note of this one time. He's like, amongst our kids, he's like, look around the group, and it's like, you can probably find somebody who the boys are like, wow, he got really good overnight. You know, it's like, what? how did he get so good? And it's Alf and I see in the background the boys in our program that are really putting in the effort, and there are no overnight successes. And if you look at the best players, I don't know, look at the best player at your club, uh, Paul Gorner, uh, Jamie Cavanaugh, Rick Glenn Abbey. These guys put more effort over the years into their game than everybody else. They, they were not an overnight success. They weren't born to do this. They have simply spent their time focusing on the right things. And I can tell you right now, both of those guys have earned the great golf that they play. Mm-hmm. Uh, SeanCaseyGolf.com. 
alfcallowhillgolf.com, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Google me. <laughs> it's just simple. Humbleandfredradio.com. That's a good place to start. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you where I got these uh, mental notes from. Do we get stuck in a... I put golf, but it's do we get stuck in a narrative that's a negative. Is most language... I put golf, but is most language people use negatively, negative habitually? You are what you tolerate. It's If you're okay with certain golf behaviors, it's because you've trained yourself to accept them. You know where I got all this information from? Tony Robbins. I get it. Yep. And all of this... I just put golf in it, but all of this was him saying, if you... If you want to break free from going through the same motions and emotions every time you play golf, but in this case was every day of your life, it's because you've trained yourself to accept that. Once you look at it a different way and go, well, you know, maybe today I'm going to try something different. That's, that's how it starts. And as you say, like nobody ever got better without the intention that maybe there was a little journey to go on. And, you know, again, most people think, well, this is how I'm, st- I'm stuck shooting 87. I'm never going to shoot anything else. But all this stuff is equally applicable to your life. It's just golf we're talking about. We could be yeah. talking about being a musician, uh, a sales guy, whatever. All this stuff is equally applicable, I say, to your life. You just It's just golf. But so once we get down a, a, a layer below and start being aware of our habits, what we do, then we can take action to change them. Becoming aware is first, but then engaging in a process to change habits that we've ingrained over our frickin' lifetime. It's hard, but it's so fulfilling. Well, and you got to expect some well challenges. Well done, young man. Early on. I say you got to expect challenges early on. Yeah. The, the real thing here is, is people don't get through that first few days. Yep. If you're like, all right, I don't eat breakfast. This year I'm going to eat breakfast. Well, you're probably going to puke the first few days if you haven't eaten breakfast in your life. So it's like <laughs> ex- 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 expecting that when I was going to stop but the show, but the case is on a roll. Go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah, but yeah. it's just, you know, all this is great. But just for anybody out there who's like, all right, I'm going to try to make some change here. The biggest thing is right now expecting some real challenges early on to 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 that process and that's the key is you got to get through those early ones and most people don't and most people don't change that's why that you need reason. support that's why yeah. you need you make a commitment you're making a commitment to yourself but if you tell someone then you make a commitment to that person too and that person will hold you accountable but also give you support and some perspective the problem is that most people try and do stuff by themselves and it's too it's really hard really really hard with all this ingrained stuff 100% so, so if you got someone who can kick your butt <laughs> and give you some you know some stories around things you'll be fine you'll be fine it's much easier to hang in can we just play the music and keep the show going i like that song this, this oh, is, I, forgot, I forgot casey's theme yeah Case, um, yeah, that was great. Uh, you, that example you said about uh, about uh, Gortner and uh, Jamie. I, can, geez, can you think of anyone else that's you know worked hard on those things? <laughs> what a dick! <laughs> like I was thinking, okay, Gortner. Yeah, I've worked thousand times harder than Gortner in the last two and a half. I guess he didn't. I guess he hasn't seen me at the range every day. E- ego golfer. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Tim. He's yeah. bruised. Yeah, yeah, no worries. It's fine. I'll just you know uh, you know, go back in the corner here. Uh, listen, uh, you. I here's the deal. If you like the show, and there's people that have actually. Commented on iTunes. There's two things you can do: subscribe to it, which makes it easier. That way, every time we do a new show, like today, it'll just show up, as opposed to having to go to iTunes each time. The other thing you can do is comment on it, because that would uh, help us uh, make the show not more popular, ego man, but more. Uh, it would do. It was give it more. Um, 
availability, more uh, visibility is the word I'm looking for on iTunes, and then more people will see it and then be helped by the wonderful wisdom, the Guelph Buddha of golf, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Right, see, I don't identify with that. I'm good with me no matter what. Are Where, you? I don't yeah. see. That's where I okay. believe you're wrong. That's why I believe what really happens is you go home and you sit in a bottle of scotch and wonder <laughs> how you got here. Anyway, Casey and Alf, that was great. We'll uh, see you next time with Swing Thoughts. Yeah, guitar, Joe.